reading from the book of Genesis. Joseph commanded his steward, fill the men's bags with as much food as they can carry and put each one's silver at the top of his bag. Put my cup, the silver one, at the top of the youngest one's bag, along with the silver for his grain. So he did as Joseph told him. At morning light, the men were sent off with their donkeys. They had not gone very far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Get up, pursue the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Isn't this the cup that my master drinks from and uses for divination? What you have done is wrong. When he overtook them, he said these words to them. They said to him, Why does my Lord say these things? Your servants could not possibly do such a thing. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found at the top of our bags. How could we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If it is found with one of us, your servants, he must die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. The steward replied, what, have you, what you have said is right, but only the one who is found to have it will be my slave, and the rest of you will be blameless. So each one quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. The steward searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each one loaded his donkey and returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers reached Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell to the ground before him. What have you done? Joseph said to them. Didn't you know that a man like me could uncover the truth by divination? What can we say to you, my lord? Joseph, uh, Judah replied, how can we plead? How can we justify ourselves? God has exposed your servant's iniquity. We are now, my lord, slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup was found. Then Joseph said, I swear that I will not do this. The man in whose possession the cup was found will be my slave. The rest of you can go in peace to your father. But Judah approached him and said, my lord, Please let your servant speak personally to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, for you are like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, My Lord, We have an elderly father and a younger brother, the child of his old age. The boy's brother is dead. He is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him to me so that I can see him. But we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he were to leave, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, If your younger brother does not come down with you, you will not see me again. This is what happened when we went back to your servant, my father. We reported to him the words of my Lord, but our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. We told him, We cannot go down unless your younger brother goes with us. If our younger brother isn't with us, we cannot see the man. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One is gone from me. I said he must have been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him again. If you also take this one from me, and anything happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. So if I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, his life is wrapped up with the boy's life. When he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. Then your servants will have brought the gray hairs of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. Your servant became accountable to my father for the boy, saying, If I do not return him to you, 
I will always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. Now please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thank you, Gerald, for reading that entire chapter from the book of Genesis. There's a reason we're reading that entire chapter. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. But before we dive in, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today's message is titled, Sacred Testing. Sacred Testing. And I'd like to begin by asking everyone this question. How are you at taking or facing tests? This past week, I came across a fitting illustration for today's sermon. The setting was Ohio State University about six or seven years ago in a huge lecture hall with approximately 1,000 students gathered for a calculus exam. Apparently, this particular calculus professor wasn't very well liked. He was one of those guys who would stand at the front of the class and yell how much time was left left until the end of the test, a real charmer, if you will. Since he was so busy gallivanting around the room, making sure that nobody cheated and everyone knew how much time was left for the test, he had the students stack the test on the podium at the front of the room. And this made for quite a mess. Remember, there were approximately 1,000 students in this class. Now, during this particular final, one guy entered the test needing a decent grade to pass the class. His only problem was, with calculus, he did poorly when rushed. And this guy standing in the front of the class, the professor yelling at him did not help matters at all. The student figure, he figured he wanted to assure himself of a good grade, so he hardly flinched when the professor said, Pencils down, submit your Scantron test or sheets and work at the front of the room in piles. And five minutes turned into 10, 10 into 20, 20 into 40. Almost an hour after the test was officially over, our friend finally put down his pencil, gathered his work, headed to the front of the hall to submit his final the whole time, the professor sat at the front of the room, notably waiting for the student to complete the test. What do you think you're doing? The professor asked the student who stood in front of him about to put down his test on one of the neat piles. You see, the professor had had time to organize the piles, and he had waited just to give this one student a very hard time. I'm turning in my exam, retorted the student confidently. Well, I'm afraid I have some bad news for you, the professor gloated. 
Your exam's an hour late. Consequently, you have failed the test and you will need to take this class, calculus, again next semester. Then the student smiled slyly and asked the professor, do you know who I am? What? replied the professor, annoyed that the student showed no sign of emotion. The student rephrased the question mockingly, do you know what my name is? No, snarled the professor. And the student looked the professor dead in the eyes and said slowly, I didn't think so. As he lifted up one of the stacks halfway, shoved his test neatly into the center, dropped the stack, fully bearing his test, and right then turned and walked out of the exam hall. Test over. Tests. Life is full of tests. Some of us excel under pressure. Some of us crumble under pressure. Life is full of tests. Some of these tests, Jack, are fully expected and some are not expected, right? Friends, how are you at taking or facing tests? Allow me to ask this a little differently. How are you at taking or facing tests? Listen, when you know the one giving the test actually has your best interest in mind, that changes things, does it not? Today's passage, Genesis 44, is all about a test. Most scholars would agree that this passage is the climax of the story of Joseph as it's here that the wayward brother, the wicked brother, the selfish brother, Judah, from whom somehow miraculously comes the line of King Jesus himself, somehow here Judah, that Judah, is tested, found repentant, and restored, fully restored. Test. Life is full of tests. Faith, my friends, will be full of tests. My prayer for each of us today is that through our passage, we not only see a powerful test, ammonian faith, but a powerful opportunity whereby we see how God works and we trust him in our seasons of testing. So let's dive in. The big idea from Genesis 44 we're gonna examine is this. God tests those he loves not to destroy us, but to restore us and develop us that we may lead for him. God tests those he loves not to destroy us, but to restore and develop us that we may lead for him. And we're gonna unpack this through two points. Point one, a person who has not been tested cannot be trusted. And point two, when the passion to save our life is eclipsed by the passion to give our life, we're ready to lead for the Lord. So let's dive in. Point one, a person who's not been tested cannot be trusted. Our passage begins, Joseph commanded his steward, fill the men's bags, the brothers' bags, which is much food as they can carry, and put each one's silver at the top of his bag. Put my cup, the silver one, at the top of the youngest one's bag, along with the silver, for his grain. So he did as Joseph told him. At morning light, the men were 
Men were sent off with their donkeys. They had not gone very far from the city when Joseph said to his servant, get up, pursue the men, and when you overtake them, say, why have you repaid evil for good? Isn't this the cup that my master drinks from and uses for divination? What you have done is wrong. So when he overtook them, he said these words to them, and they said to him, Why does the Lord say these things? Your servant could not possibly do such a thing. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we'd found at the top of our bags. How could we steal silver or gold from your master's house? It is found, if it is found with one of us, your servants, he must, listen, die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. And the steward replied, what you have said is right, but only the one who's found to have it will be my slave, and the rest of you will be blameless. So each one quickly lowered his sack to the ground, opened it. The steward searched, beginning with the oldest, ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes. Each one loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers reached Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell. They fell to the ground before him. Three times. Three times in the book of Genesis, Joseph's brothers are made to come before Joseph in desperation, whom they still don't recognize even in our passage today, as the brother they had beaten, stripped, and sold into slavery. Three times they're made to fall before Joseph. None of it is accidental. All of it is a test. And today we'll see how the final chapter of this testing unfolds. Now, if you recall from two weeks ago, when the brothers had come back to Egypt looking for more food in the face of salmon, salmon, (laughs) in the face of famine, and they brought their younger brother Benjamin back with them, Joseph, do you remember, had shocked and showered them These brothers with what? Grace. Scandalous grace. If you missed it, you can go back on our podcast or YouTube channel and check it out. You see, as they had returned to Egypt, in the face of great fear, Joseph had welcomed them with peace. Owing great money, their debt had been wiped clean. Deserving of death, Joseph had set their brother Simeon free and covered in filth, Joseph had had their feet washed clean. It was all a foreshadowing of the grace, the ultimate grace, were each offered in Jesus. Do you remember processing some of that together? In fact, the last time we read of these brothers, Joseph had even honored them with what? A great feast. The end of chapter 43 ends with these words, and they drank and were merry with him. It was a beautiful scene, again, a foreshadowing of all that is to come for the followers of Jesus as we read in Revelation 19, this great feast. So if you're like me and you turn the page, right? You go to this next chapter in the Bible, you're like, what is happening here? You can't help but ask, is Joseph being cruel? Is he playing games? Is he executing revenge? What is happening here and now in this chapter? And the answer, of course, is he's doing none of that. He is testing his brothers. And it's it's an important test for all of us to see. 
Listen, acting as an agent of God, Joseph is testing his brothers to discover who they now are after they've tasted the grace of God. The sequence is important. Let me repeat that. Acting on behalf of God, Joseph wants to know uh, who they are now after they've encountered the grace of God. Does that make sense? He wants to know, are they trustworthy or not? Are they changed men or not? Are they still obsessed with the me or have they shifted to the we? It's an important question because through this line, through this family, was meant to flow the promises to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 17. And thus, they are being uh, questioned and tested. And ultimately, here's what Joseph wants to know. Will these men give their life for their beloved brother? Or will they abandon their responsibility as their brother's keeper to save their own skin? And that, friends, is the test. Now, pause with me on our story, and let's look at briefly another story in the Bible. Do any of you remember how many times later in the Bible that Jesus asked Peter if he loves him as part of his restoration of the disciple post-resurrection in John 21? Kathy Amendoli screamed it out in the first service. Russ, three times. I'm making sure I have three fingers up. Three times Jesus asked Peter virtually the same question. Three times Jesus tests Peter. Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved, we read, that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt, walk wherever you wanted. But you, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you do not want to go. And he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. Listen, and after saying this, he told him, follow me. Isn't it interesting that for Peter to faithfully follow Jesus, he must be first tested by Jesus? Here's the point. From a biblical perspective, a person who has not been tested cannot be trusted. Do you see that? And just as Jesus tested Peter to restore and develop him to be the leader he had been created to be, so we see Joseph test his own brothers in our passage to restore and develop them to be the men God was calling them to be. Listen, friends. Testing, though it may not be enjoyable, is essential in life, at least in the life of a man or woman, boy or girl, who wants to live in the fullness and favor of God. Noah was tested. Build this ark and follow me. Abraham was tested. 
Bring your son and build this altar and follow me. Ruth was tested. Honor your mother-in-law, glean this field and follow me. David was tested. Submit to this authority, submit to this wicked king and follow me. Daniel was tested. Stay the course, interpret this dream and follow me. And the list goes on and on. Testing you see is essential, even though it might not be enjoyable to our faith walk. In bringing this into the room today, perhaps some of you are being tested right, right now. Perhaps you are dealing with a wrong you don't know how to make right. You're being tested and God says, follow me. Perhaps you're dealing with a decision that will come at a great cost. You're being tested, God says, follow me. Perhaps you're being tempted and are struggling to walk away, you're being tested. God says, follow me. Or perhaps you're in a season, I know many of you are in this season. Perhaps you're in a season of waiting and wanting and have no desire, no desire to stay right where you're at. You're being tested and God says, follow me. Friends, God says to those he loves, I'm gonna test you not to destroy you, but to develop you and restore you to be the person I've created you to be. And to this end, no one who is not, excuse me, a person who has not been tested cannot be trusted. Listen, if this is you, this is good news. You're in good company. I hope you see that. People have been tested before you, good people. And people have been tested, will be tested after you. The biblical invitation in this testing is to lean in fully, not to what's happening around you, but to the one who is sovereign over you. Let the Lord hear your cry. Lord, have mercy. Hear my cry, Lord, and cry out again and again and again. Friends, God loves you and wants to restore and develop you. Listen, not so you live in your past, but so you live in his future. Point one, a person who's not been tested cannot be trusted. This leads us to point two. When the passion to save our life is eclipsed by the passion to give our life, we're ready. We're ready to lead for the Lord. Now, let me share another story. I don't know if you've noticed in life, but usually the higher the stakes, the higher the bar of entry or test. You ever noticed that before? If you wanna drive a car, Aaron, I know this is true. If you want to drive a car or have Rowan drive a car, he needs to take a driver's test, right? If you want to practice law, you have to take a state's bar exam, right? If you want to practice medicine, you have to pass an intense board exam or exams. Listen, if you want to marry my daughter, good luck passing that test. Can I get an amen? Again, typically the higher the stakes, the higher the bar of entry or test. So now imagine me as a beard-faced, excuse me, beard-free, baby-faced 21-year-old wearing a baggy suit from Joseph A. Banks in downtown Chicago in the late 90s. You got it, baby-faced Paul? It was a goofy picture, I assure you. I just graduated from Wheaton College with my business and economics degree, and I was on the fast track to becoming an investment banker, specifically a muni trader, working out of the Sears Tower. Some of you are too young to know what the Sears Tower was, 
or is, but now they, some, for some godforsaken reason, renamed it the Willis Tower. It's still the Sears Tower to me, to you, right, Mikey? All right. As a young gun with that baby face, with the baggy suit, there's one thing standing in my way. You ready? The Series 7 exam. Has anyone here taken the Series 7 before? We've got some hands raised. Yeah, yeah, several people. The Series 7 is also known as the General Securities Representative Exam, GSRE. And it's a test for registered reps to buy or sell security products, such as corporate securities, municipal securities, options, direct participation programs, investment company products, et cetera, et cetera. It's administered by some group called the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. It consists of 125 complex questions and it lasts four hours. Now, why do I share all of this information? Well, in my case, baby case, babyface Paul in the late 90s, the stakes were high for me to pass this test, really high. First, if I passed the test, I would be dealing in blocks of bonds well over $100 million throughout my workday. That's a lot of money. Second, given the money involved, my firm had paid me not to work once they hired me, but to actually go take classes so that I passed the test. I know some of you probably had that same experience. A lot was invested in me and in this moment. And third, listen, if I didn't pass the test, after all that had been invested in me by the firm and honestly, all that had been invested in me by my own parents with my undergraduate degree, you ready for it? I would be fired. If I failed the test, I'd be fired on the spot. The stakes were very high for me. Was I scared, Gary? Absolutely, I was scared. It was very intimidating. In that, listen, 35% of people fail this test, have to redirect their lives. Thankfully, due to all those who'd poured into me and the grace God had shown me, I was able to pass the Series 7 and took a great job as a 21-year-old or lived into that job out of the Sears Tower. Why do I share all of this? Because it all reminds me, listen, that the greater the stakes, the greater the test. Now, going back to our passage, Joseph tests his brothers with the greatest stakes of all, the life of their younger brother, Benjamin. A life is at stake. Would the brothers abandon their younger brother or stick by him? What do we see? We see Judah, wicked Judah, wayward Judah, selfish Judah, offer his very life for him. We see Judah offer his life for his younger brother, Benjamin. Beginning at verse four, excuse me, 16, and then jumping to verse 30. What can we say to my Lord, Judah replied? How can we plead? How can we justify ourselves? God has exposed your servant's iniquity. We are now my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup was found. And Joseph said, I swear that I will not do this. The man in whose possession the cup was found will be my slave. The rest of you can go in peace to your father, to your dad. But Judah approached him and said, my Lord, please let your servant speak personally to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant. You're like Pharaoh. If I come to your servant, 
my father and the boy is not with us. His life is wrapped up with the boy's life. When he sees that the boy is not with us, he, our dad, will die. Then your servants will have brought the gray hairs of your servant, our father, down to shale or hell in sorrow. Your servant became accountable to my father for the boy saying, if I do not return to him, I will always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. And here it is. Now please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father without the boy? I cannot bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father, my dad. You see, it's one thing to say to someone, excuse me, say you love someone, that's beautiful. It's a wholly different matter to give your life, your very life for someone. That's divine. And that's what we see Judah offer on behalf of Benjamin. Quote, now please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. Friends, Judah's change here is, change is remarkable. Finally, the passion to save his own life is eclipsed by the passion to give his life. Listen, it's not about him anymore. It's not about him. Grace has taken hold, and this is captured. You ready, Jonathan Wong? It's captured in two key exegetical details in chapter 44. Look, first, Judah's plea in our passage is the longest speech in a very long book known as Genesis. That's why we read the whole thing. You need to... You need to feel and hear the weight of it. It's the longest speech by anyone in the book of Genesis. Judah here literally is crying out, have mercy, have mercy. Please extend your mercy. And oh, what a change we see in Judah from Judah chapter 37 and 38 to Judah chapter 44. He used to not give a flip about his brothers or his dad, and now things have changed. Grace has taken a hold of this man. Second, the second exegetical point is this. The offer by Judah to take Benjamin's life, this is very significant in the meta narrative of God. It's the first time we see in all of scripture this idea of human substitution or atonement. Judah here is willing to take Benjamin's place no matter the cost, even if it cost him, cost him everything. Take my life for his life, he basically pleads. I'll pay the penalty for the sin. Let the iniquity fall on me. Does this remind you of someone else or something else? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many, Mark chapter 10. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53. Do you see it? Judah's story points us to Jesus' story in the story of Easter. We're going to celebrate very soon where we see Jesus give his life as a big word, substitutionary atonement 
for you and for me as a replacement. You see, through all of the testing, God was restoring and developing Judah, wayward Judah, wicked Judah, selfish Judah, that Judah, listen, to not only receive God's grace, but to then extend and lead with that grace. So coming full circle, test. Life is full of test. Faith is full of tests. Some of you are in a season of testing right now, aren't you? A person who has not been tested cannot be trusted. And when the passion to save your life is eclipsed by the passion to give your life, you're ready to lead for the Lord. So here's the baseline invitation. Friends, no matter where you are in life, let the Lord test you today. And through the testing, let him restore you. Let him develop you. I'm looking at the Marine in the room. I'm sure there's others. Let him deploy you. Let him use you today. Testing. Life is full of testing. Faith is full of testing. In all of it, Dom, God loves you. And he loves me. It makes a huge difference who is doing the testing. God not only loves you, he is for you. Let him have his way with you today. Let him develop you and your story, your future today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage, this narrative within the meta narrative of scripture. God, we invite you to reorganize our hearts and to allow you to test us. May we not run to... Uh, some means of escape. May we not numb our heart, our hearts. God, have your way with us. Would you, would you look into our stories and, and restore us where we need to be restored? Would you wipe our sins clean and would you heal our wounds? Would you develop us and deploy us? Use us, Lord. We, we not only need your grace, but we invite you to ha have us carry your grace to our, our families, our, our neighborhoods, our, our workplaces, our world in need. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.